Amen. Thank you, Andy. Yeah, we do want to hear from God today, don't we, as we're uh, looking into his word together. We've been singing some great songs, singing the story of God's work in our lives, this amazing salvation that we have, and uh, we, we believe as Christians that God wants to make a difference in our lives. We believe that without him we were lost, that with him we have hope, and that he rescues us from our sin. He rescues us from a life that's lived going away from him, and he brings us into his kingdom, into his presence. He makes us his, his children, his family. And that's wonderful, and we've been singing about that this morning. How many of you are glad about that, that you've been rescued by God? It's great, isn't it? Absolute, absolutely amazing. Maybe can we have the first slide? Thank you. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've been having a conversation, or you've been part of a group conversation, perhaps, and, and there's a story being told, and you're listening to the story, and you were part of the story, and as you're listening, somebody is regaling the crowd with the story that you're involved in, or you were part of in some way, and as you're listening, you're, you're thinking, it didn't go like that. That's not what I remember. The story wasn't quite like that. You've missed a bit out. But you don't say anything. And you get to the end, and the story's been told, and and your story wasn't part of it. It wasn't the way you remember it, but somebody has told the story. Just hold that thought in your mind of the story. Think of a different situation. Think of yourself now, and if you had the opportunity to go back a few years and tell your younger self something, what would you say? Now, I don't want to know, because it might be a bit personal. You might tell yourself to cut down on something, or to start something, or to be more courageous. You, but just think, if you had the opportunity to go back 10, 20, 5 years, 1 year, a week, what would you tell your younger self that, that you would want yourself to know? Think about that thought. One conversation, one opportunity to speak to your younger self. Both of those are, are, are a matter of perspective. We're able to look from our perspective and see certain things, but we don't always appreciate someone else's perspective. So in the conversation that's going on over here, uh, you, were, you were kind of there and the story was being told and someone was telling it from their perspective, but they missed out yours. They missed out your viewpoint. And over here, I think many of us would be able to go back and tell our younger self something, or we'd love to be able to, to say, cut down on that. Don't, when you're planning to drive that way that day, don't bother. Go that way instead. Be a bit more courageous in your decisions because our perspective is different. We've learned through experience, sometimes painful, sometimes joyful, that there are some things coming up in life that we didn't see coming at the time. It's a matter of perspective. You know, I think so often when it comes to issues of faith, we view them from very different perspectives to God's perspective. Very often when we read the Bible and we're in church world in church, we, we kind of view things from where we are and we don't always, we're not able, always able to connect with what God's saying to us and how he sees things. And I want for a few weeks, well, when I'm speaking, to, to start a new series, just a, a few weeks on looking at the view from here, the view from God's perspective as he looks on issues in our lives. And, and I really want to, to dive in a bit to the book of Ephesians as I'm doing this. And Ephesians is an interesting book. Not just because it's some really good stuff in there, but it's written by a guy called Paul, and uh, he was one of the very early, most famous Christians. He went around preaching a lot, and he had lots of struggles because he was preaching, and some of those struggles were they end up getting shipwrecked, and sometimes he got beaten, and sometimes he, people welcomed him, 
Um, but on this particular occasion, when he's writing the book of Ephesians, he's actually in prison. And it's one of three books that he writes, Ephesians, Philemon, and Colossians, where he's in prison at this particular time. And he's writing to the churches around Ephesus. Probably this letter's going to get read and passed on around several churches. And if you're familiar with the New Testament and the letters that get written, a lot of them are written to problems. So it's Paul or somebody else writing because there's a problem. And he's heard about it. And he's saying, you know, this is what I do in that situation. This is how I deal with it. But here in Ephesus, there isn't a problem, seemingly. He's not writing to correct something. He's just writing to bring encouragement and truth. And so it's a slightly more general letter. And I want us to dive into really just one issue from this letter today. I want us to, look at, to dive into this issue of faith. Because I think we so often miss the truth of faith and our faith, our Christian faith. We view things from our perspective, not from God's perspective. And I want just very simply today to look at some very profound truths. I'm going to try and do it really, really uh, simply because these are kind of simple words, but they convey so much truth. Uh, and to look from God's perspective today. Let's see how we get on. So let's look at a scripture together. I'm going to read a few verses. This is the one I'm going to leave on the screen because it's a focus for us today. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. I'm reading from Ephesians chapter 1. To God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us, it's there, in him, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Amen, anyone? Sounds good, doesn't it? Good passage, that. I, I read it all. I wasn't going to, but in, in the original, this was written in Greek, um, either by Paul or by a scribe, and he's dictating it. But from verse 3, which is the verse before this one, all the way to verse 14, it's one sentence. And I didn't want to stop. I, I didn't read it very well because I had to breathe halfway through that to just pause and break it up a little bit. So it should have been a new sentence. But Paul, when he's writing this, writes one sentence from verse 3 all the way to verse 14. And it's a bit like, you know, when you get caught up in worship and, and he's there and it's just, this stuff's rolling out of him. And it's kind of this, this praise, this amazing sense of God's salvation is pouring out of Paul as he's writing. Because it's so cool that God loves us. And so amazing that God saved us. And that's an exciting thought, isn't it? That he's there. 
overflowing with rejoicing. This theme we're going to look at today is a life theme for the Apostle Paul. This bloke that was in prison, that preached, that healed the sick, that wrote letters, that was persecuted. This theme is a life theme, this theme of God choosing us. That God chose, that he chose Israel, that he chose us, that he chose Paul, that they was chosen with a purpose and all of it is of God's doing. That's going to be his theme for the whole of his life. And it's our theme this morning. That verse says this, for he chose us in him. That's exciting. You know, I want to tell you today that your faith, if you have a Christian faith, if you are following Jesus Christ, that faith is not of your making. It's not. You didn't invent it. You didn't decide it. You didn't manufacture it. It's not of your making. God chose. That's what the Bible says. The Bible tells me that God chose that I would have no faith if he hadn't first chosen. And I remember my story well. I remember going to school, which is a Church of England school in northwest London. And I remember growing up, hearing a little bit about church and God and thinking I was a Christian. I remember some of my friends going for, to have confirmation classes. And so I joined them. And I, very meaningfully, I wasn't being flippant, very meaningful. And I learned a little bit and I discovered some stuff and I got confirmed. I remember the day well. I think I've still got the book I was given and the little card somewhere. And I went to church occasionally and I thought I was a Christian. And then I remember being invited to go to hear a guy who was uh, traveled all the way from South America to come and speak at an event in London. And it was held in the Crystal Palace football grounds. And I was only a teenager, just a young teenager. My mum had taken me and one of my mum's friends. We went to hear this guy speak. And I remember hearing him preach. And there's all the normal sort of stuff, the band first and a bit of entertainment. And then you hear someone preaching. And I remember listening to this guy preaching and just being utterly convinced and convicted that I needed to respond. Because I knew that there was something that was different about the Jesus he was presenting to the Jesus I thought I knew. And I remember it so clearly. I remember sitting in my seat and watching the whole thing unfolding. And I remember the moment when the invitation was given. And there were thousands of people in this stadium. We have chatted about this, Judith and I, and Judith, we discovered, ended up at the same event. So it is possible we were there at the same day. It ran for several nights, but that would be fun, wouldn't it? But I was there in this event, and and as this guy uh, asked for a response, I remember just feeling compelled to get up out of my seat and join with the others walking down the steps onto the football pitch uh, where people would pray for us. And it was only at the bottom of the steps with thousands of people there and many, many hundreds responding. I remember turning around. I see my mum legging it after me so she didn't, get lo- didn't lose me in the crowd because we travelled on the underground to get there and you thought, oh, goodness me, can you imagine if you'd never see this child again? It would be a bit awkward, wouldn't it, with an event like that? But, so we went down and somebody prayed for me. And I remember that so clearly. I remember that I was clearly making a choice to respond to the message that was being preached. And yet, all of it was God's initiative. All of it. You see, I couldn't have saved myself. I couldn't have come up with what we've done today. I couldn't have invented Jesus dying for me. I didn't make this happen. 
and this is just our communion kind of emblems, but these points are Christ. They point to the cross. They point to Jesus who died for us. I, I, I didn't do that. I responded to what God had already done. He chose. It was his grace that found me. That was his method of salvation. And it's the overwhelming theme in the whole of the Bible. God bringing salvation to people from day one of human existence. Where we mess up, God has had a plan of salvation and rescue that includes you and me. And that's exciting. From day one, he's had a plan of rescue and salvation that includes us. And he chose it. This little phrase, for he chose. It was God's choice. We couldn't have found him otherwise. Faith is only possible. Salvation is only possible in Jesus. There is no other way. I want to just tell you this today, that if you've been following other philosophies and you've tried other things, the truth is this, that there is no other way to find God other than through Jesus Christ. He declares himself that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way to salvation. If we have time, and I encourage you to do this, if you have time, take this passage away with you, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, and read it at home, and notice the number of times that it says, in Christ, or in him, with reference to our salvation. Take it home and do it. Verse 4, he chose us in him before the creation of the world. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. And so it goes on. In him, we have redemption through his blood. And it just goes on and on and on. It's all because of Jesus. It really is. Our salvation is all because of Jesus. And you might think, Stuart, we know this. I'm not so sure we do. I think quite often you and I fall into the trap of believing that we've brought something to our salvation. That we've brought something to God that God should jolly well be pleased with us. That we've sorted all this thing out for him. Now you may not be convinced by this, but how many of us have ever felt aggrieved at God when he doesn't do what we think he ought to? How many of us? Yeah, a few of us, okay. You felt aggrieved at God, you felt let down by God, and you say things, maybe in your own heart, you don't dare say them through your lips, but you say things like, God, it's not fair. And then we list a few things, why it's not fair. It's not fair because I've been to church every week. It's not fair because I've been giving my tithes. It's not fair because I've been praying in the morning, I've been reading my Bible. I've been even being being good to the people I don't like. It's not fair because you haven't done what I asked you to, and I've been doing all this stuff for you. It's not fair because I've given up this, or I've done that, or I've had this adventure. It's not fair because you haven't met me on my terms. And it's as if we're bringing something to God and expecting him to go, oh, thank you. I couldn't have rescued you if it wasn't for that. I couldn't have saved you if you hadn't done that bit for me. But no, our salvation is all of him. Absolutely all of it. There is no justification for me to come before God and feel aggrieved that he hasn't done what I wanted and kept his side of the bargain because he did. He did keep his side of the bargain and he's still keeping it. Do you know why? Because there was never a bargain to be had. It's all 
because of grace. Everything, thank you, everything he gives us is because of grace. It's not because we're good enough. It's not because we deserve it. It's because of his love for you and for me that we receive from our Father. Do you know, it's never ever because you're good enough. It's never because of what you've given up. It's never because of what you've taken hold of. It's just because he loves you. Because he chooses to give to you and to me. That's the reason why. Paul goes on in the next chapter to say this. He says in Ephesians 2, verse 8, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So me, my teenage self, walking down those steps in that football stadium, the gift of faith was given to me to be able to say yes to God. Even the faith I had to trust him wasn't from me. Isn't that great? So nothing depends on me. It doesn't just say that that God chose. It says that God chose us. Ephesians 1 verse 4. And this is one of the mega themes of the Bible. We read, if you're familiar with the Bible story, we read of a nation called Israel, God's chosen people. And, and we read of how God kind of plucks them, this nation, not because of their greatness, but because of his grace. And he starts with Abraham, and the story goes on through Abraham's descendants. And the Old Testament, the whole of the Old Testament is written from the principle of this perspective of being God's people, God's chosen people. And many people have a confusion with that still today, many Christians, many non-Christians, because they read the Bible, and then they watch the news, and they see Israel being talked about. Uh, and we assume that Israel that's being talked about now is exactly the same as Israel here. And we get a little bit confused because it's the same word, but actually it's a little bit more complicated because in the Old Testament, there are four different Israels that I know of. There might, might be five or six that you want to come up with, but I can think of four clear ones. Uh, firstly, Israel, this sense of being chosen, Israel is a person's name. There's a bloke called Israel. So it's one person. Secondly, Israel is God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, Abraham's descendants through Jacob. Thirdly, Israel refers to the land that the nation are in. So it's a nation state. And the land is referred to as Israel. Fourthly, this is perhaps the most significant one, Israel is actually referred to as the spiritual people, God's chosen people who've accepted his choosing and are living as the Israel of God. So we've got Israel, God's the man, Israel, God's chosen nation, Israel, the the land itself that the nation are in, and then the people of God, the Israel of God, because there are times when actually the Israel that's been chosen, the nation, who's living in the land isn't living as the people of God who've been chosen by God. They're choosing to reject and go away, and actually there are some who do. They're not included in God's people by their own choice. Today, we've also got the nation-state of Israel. Uh, And they obviously can't be the same as the one man who's chosen. They're, They're representing many Jewish people, many secular people. On the territory of the nation of Israel, but it's not completely the same as every mention of Israel in the Bible. And we need to pray for that nation. We need to pray that God's ancient promises 
to his ancient people will be fulfilled. I believe they will. I believe that many will come to know salvation still only in the name of Jesus. There is no other way than through Jesus. So even being chosen by God as a nation doesn't guarantee, doesn't force you to choose God in response. Because even the people of God who were chosen by him, still some of them were able to reject and walk away from being God's chosen people. But this passage that we've been reading doesn't just talk about them as in other people. It talks about us. He chose us. And I love this passage. This Ephesians 1, it's taken me years to come to a place of being able to preach on this. I'm going to finish in probably about 10 minutes. But this is probably 10 years worth of thinking and reflecting and praying on this passage. Because it's complex and you can read it so many different ways. However you read this, we're included. Because verse 11 says this. In him. Because all all the first few verses could be about Israel. They could be about us. But we know that we're here in this bit. It says, in him we also were chosen. This is talking about the Jewish people. Having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. It's the Jewish nation. Jewish peoples. The recipients of the promise. It says, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. That was the purpose for them. And listen to this. This is our bit. We get to join in. It says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. We weren't God's people, but we get to play our part and join in. We're grafted into God's people. We, we weren't God's ancient people. We didn't belong. But God welcomed us and put us into his people. That's an incredible privilege. We're added in to God's people. We get to play our part and belong this multifaceted family of God's people. His ancient people, and then added in the Gentile people into his family of those who belong to him. But, but it doesn't just stop there. Because us includes me, and us includes you. God's choosing is personal. That nation of Israel represents people like Noah, and Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and Moses, and the whole nation. The judges, Saul, and David, and Solomon, and prophets, all the people who individually we hear about being chosen by God. And he chooses you too. I just want you to think for a moment about the times that you've been chosen. And maybe it's those of you that can remember this. I hated PE at school most of the time, unless it was something really unusual and interesting for me. Never a great fan of rugby. Probably my build had something to do with that. Like quite a good post. Not a great, not a great player. But this whole thing about diving on a frozen field in the middle of winter just didn't appeal for some reason. Yeah. Um, but, you know, some, some of those quirky athletic sports that you get to do occasionally, I quite enjoyed those. But there were times at school when you, you got picked for a team. Remember this, getting picked for teams? Now, is there anybody here that used to be the first one to get picked? Come on. 
Come on. There's a couple of sporty people. Thank you very much. Yeah, you can put your hand down. It's all right. One on the back as well, first or second to get picked. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? I'm not going to ask you if you're the last. There'll be a few. There'll be a few who are towards the back. And it's, you know, it's a horrible feeling. But we realize the principle that actually kids are quite right in picking the people who are going to help them win. Because that is the aim of the game. This isn't always a, sometimes it's a friendship contest, but actually it's about winning the sport and, and getting the best team around you that can play really well. And, you know, and, and that's, it's quite harsh. Maybe you've been picked at other times. You've gone for a job. And you've interviewed with a number of other candidates, and for some reason they picked you. And we've had that. You, you kind of get picked. You get chosen. And whichever one it is, it's quite a good feeling. In the school sports day one, sometimes it's just a matter of relief that you got chosen before somebody else. Oh, I wasn't at the end. Or, oh, it's so-and-so that picked me. We can have a great time. When it's a job, there's all, all manner of things connected with that. Maybe you've tried to volunteer for something, or someone's come and asked you, and they said, would you, would you be able to do this, please? Because we've got this role that he's filling, and we just think you're the right person for this. And you've thought about it, and you said, yes, and you've been picked for that role, and it's, it's quite exciting. In all of those cases, you've been picked because of your aptitude. There's been something that's qualified you for that role. When it comes to salvation, there's nothing that qualifies you to be in God's family. There's nothing. There's not a case of being at the front of the line or the back of the line for the school sports team. You just don't get in. There is nothing, zip, nada, nothing you can bring to be qualified for God's team, God's family, God's presence. Absolutely nothing. And yet, yet he chose you and me. And this is a life theme for Paul because we read this in so many of Paul's letters. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Why do you think Paul is saying that? It's because he's referring back to his own story, not my story, his. And his was of a journey he was making one day when God arrested him. And Paul was on his way to persecute the church and arrest some more Christians and he was on his, he'd got his plan, he'd got the course all set out. He'd got his agenda. He was a persecutor. He was rounding up Christians to put them in prison, to put them on trial, that they should no longer proclaim Christ. And God shows up and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Paul, shocked, says, who are you, Lord? And God says, I'm Jesus. Ah. Says Paul. Hadn't planned for this. What does Paul bring to his salvation? Well, you could say well, he's a bright man, he brings all sorts of things, that's why he writes all the letters in the New Testament, or lots of them. No, no, no. That's what happens afterwards. What does he bring to his salvation? Absolutely nothing. Bereft, broken, his plan in tatters, his agenda shattered, Paul is arrested by God, by the grace of God, and receives God's forgiveness. It's God's choice. And he's gripped by that. As I point at the screen at those words, Paul is gripped by the will of God that chose him, that rescued him, and every letter it comes out as he's writing. I just want to say this as well. God's choosing you doesn't rule out you choosing God. 
I've had the privilege of being at two weddings this week. And in both of those, there will have been a point at which one person asks the other person to marry them. Person A, who is doing the asking, has already chosen person B. They've made the decision. They've plucked up courage. Perhaps they've bought a ring. Perhaps they're waiting. But there's, there's been a decision that has been made. They've chosen person B. They're going to ask them the big question. Perhaps on bended knee. Perhaps not. Who knows? Only they do. But there's a plan. Why? Because they've chosen who they're going to ask. This is not a random question. You, you ask a passer, passerby. This is planned ahead of time. It's been thought of, it's been dreamt of, it's been imagined. If you're particularly romantic, as I am not particularly romantic, sorry, darling. If you're particularly romantic, (laughs) then you maybe dreamed up some romantic destination to go to for this wonderful occasion, and it's all planned. Person B may guess, because they're not daft, or they may not. But there is a moment at which the result of the choice is an offer. Will you marry me? On the other side is a moment of saying yes or no. There's an opportunity to receive or reject the choice that has already been made. You see how this works? The Bible doesn't tie up the loose ends for us. It speaks consistently of God's choice of us. It also talks consistently of our choice of God. This man, Paul, who writes these words, when we hear him preaching in Ephesus, in the book of Ephesians, this is what he says. This is the same man preaching to the same church, and he uh, says this in verse, chapter 19, verse 8, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. That's about following Jesus. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Paul's approach as one who has been chosen is to go and preach boldly and try and persuade people to to choose the one who is already chosen, to accept the offer of God's love, of God's grace, of God's forgiveness. Let me wrap up with something I don't think I've ever heard anybody talk about before. Because I've heard people talk about God's choosing before. But that's generally as far as it goes. And this verse doesn't finish there, this one verse we're looking at today. It says this, He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. I've heard people talk about choosing and the different views on this, and there are many, and I've I've not done them justice theologically today because I think some of them are rabbit holes that you can disappear into and never emerge from again. And so what I've done, I've done with very clear thinking and on purpose because I think the Bible doesn't go as far as some people want to in this thinking. It doesn't go anywhere near it, but it presents two sides of truth for us. But I don't think I've ever heard anybody ask why God chooses us. 
You see, I do believe that we are beneficiaries of God's salvation. I've said that already. It's great, our salvation. It's amazing. He's chosen us, though, not just so that you can be different, that you can be saved, that you can be happy, that you can be rescued, that you can be his. That's not the only reason you're chosen. It says here in the bottom of the screen, he chose us before the foundation of the world or to, to be holy and blameless in his sight. That's why he chose you. That's why he chose me. That's the reason for our choosing, that he chose us that we might be blameless and holy. That's interesting, isn't it? That's the purpose. I want to unpack that very quickly. In Philippians, another letter that the same bloke is writing, same chap, same apostle is writing, please, I'm not being flippant by calling him a bloke, but he's a man like you and me. In Philippians 2.15, he says this, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you might become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. In other words, that you might be holy and blameless. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Paul's principle is this, and it's the Bible's principle that God chooses you and me, that we might be carriers of his glory. Recipients, yes, but also displayers of his splendor and majesty to all. That's the reason God chooses us. If we had time, we would go back through Noah, through whom the world is saved as a result of God's choosing him. Or we could look at Abraham and discover that God chooses Abraham sovereignly. It's God's choice. But actually, the reason God chooses Abraham isn't just for Abraham. It's not even primarily for Abraham. It's so that the nations of the world will be blessed. That's the reason God chooses Abraham. It's in the scripture. Genesis 12. You can read of Joseph, who God chooses and speaks to, and Joseph at the end of his life says, God meant it for good. Why? Because Egypt has been saved and his family has been saved, and God's purpose is extended not just to Joseph. It's not about Joseph, that Joseph is chosen. Joseph is chosen to change nations. That's why he's saved. That's why he's rescued. We could look at Moses and even the nation of Israel. The reason the nation of Israel is chosen isn't for them. It's not. Ultimately, for them, they're chosen to be a light to the Gentiles. God chose a people to display his glory. He chose a people to live holy and righteously, not so that they could be okay, but to display his purposes to the whole world. God is not some mean-spirited, small-minded, petty God who wants to choose three or four people and rescue them and let everybody else go to hell. That is not God's purpose. God chooses some that they might display his splendor to all. That's what the Bible tells us, I believe. The nation of Israel was chosen. And it meant that others weren't. But Israel wasn't meant to keep the goodness to themselves. They were meant to display God's splendor and wonder and glory to all. So guess what? Why has he chosen us? To make a difference for the whole world. This glorious gospel, this glorious choice by God is for us, and it's not. It's for everybody else that doesn't yet know. We're chosen by the King that we might be saved, but that that salvation would result 
in the salvation of many more. I've said I will close and I will with a couple of script, uh, a word of scripture which just wraps up this little chapter. And this is my prayer for us today. Because I believe that if we grab hold of God's choice of us, it will give us confidence. It will mean that our faith isn't so shakable. It will mean that if it doesn't depend on us and it's depending on God, actually we're not worried about whether we've upset God or offended him today, that we'll walk into his presence with confidence and boldness because he chose us. And we'll run away from sin and we won't stoop to the levels of things that we maybe used to be involved in. Why? Because he chose us. Because we'll live the lives that are worthy of the call of God because he chose us. He says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he called you the hope to which he called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That's my prayer for us today. God's chosen us and may we have confidence in him. Amen.